So changing gears. This is actually stuff. Uh, there'll be a lot of formulas here, but don't worry about them. Uh, as usual, right? Typically, what I'm interested in is getting a um, getting a feel for it, getting an intuitive feel for everything. So we're going to talk about correlation and simple regression as a way to lead into talking about multiple regression. Did you guys learn this in 2126? Correlation, simple regression. Yes, correlation, yes. And I know, I think, I, I taught you, right, Denny? So I think we did very briefly cover regression, like on a, in very brief terms. Okay. So you have covered correlation. So all the procedures we've dealt with so far have looked at differences between means, haven't we? You know, um, is group one different than group two, whatever. You can also look at that as a, as a, as a relationship between the independent and dependent variables. That as the independent variable changes, suddenly became summer, went pretty poorly. Um, I said that one of the things you needed to make a causal claim was covariation. So we can see that the independent variable correlates or covaries with the dependent variable. Yeah, that makes sense. So you can look at most of our designs then as either uh, looking at differences between two groups or whatever. Let's just say two groups and make it simple. Or we could say, look, as we got level one of the variable, level two, and we can correlate those two things as one goes with the other. Right? Make sense? And if you have a continuous variable or two continuous variables, that relationship is quite easy to see. Right? So, you know, typically we're thinking of things <coughs> a regular sort of analysis of variance design, you know, they, they aren't continuous variables. They have, say, two levels, five levels, whatever. But if you've got something that can take an infinite number or a huge number of means, a very, of, of values, it's easy to see where you would get um, this kind of relationship. Like, and it's a scatter plot. The, the thing we've used for years, and like, we, everybody's seen these things, and I wish it was this tight. Um, points you have, that your income in, let's say that's in uh, $3,000. We've used these for exploratory data analysis, right? You, even though I don't think I talked about it before, but it's sort of in, in the book as well. Um, so they're a great EDA tool. So we can compare them, even if they have different scales. Right? It shouldn't matter if I'm measuring this in dollars, or I'm measuring this in euros, or pounds, or any other currency you wish to choose. Moroccan rabat. <laughs> Look at that. People call the bot something. Probably called, probably called Dunai. In Thai, bot. There you go. The currency of Thailand is the bot. I don't know why I know crap like that. I used to read atlases when I was a kid. 
something wrong with you. But it shouldn't matter. Right? So we should be able to standardize this. We've also got two variables in this called IP and this called income that are measuring two different things. <coughs> so one way we can look at this at the beginning is what's called covariance. Um, it looks a lot like a variance equation, except that instead of having x minus x bar squared, we've got two variables, x minus x bar, well, y minus y bar. So we sum these, right? So that's if we're going to do that at least. So if let's say you had 5 and 3, and you're doing variables 10 and 2, and 5 minus 3 plus 10 minus 2, or sorry, 5 minus 3 minus 10 minus 2, and you do the next variable next variable next variable. Okay. So we divide by big N minus 1. Big N in this case is the number of observations, number of errors of observation. This, degree, this measures the degree to which two variables vary together. And again, you should look at this and say, look, if we just turn that, if we put the thing y minus y bar up, the squared up there, that's a variance calculation. Right? But it's putting the two together, so it's going to talk about how the two things vary together, what's called variance. If deviations from x bar and y bar are not going the same direction, you get a positive covariance, you can actually get a negative covariance. Covariance not squared one, but you can get a negative Because if they're both going in the same direction, it's going to be a positive number times a positive number, or a negative number times a negative number. If they're going, so if they're both, if it's going up, right? If the slope's going up. If it's going down, uh, a high value in X means a low value in Y. So you get a positive times a negative. So you end up with a negative number. So covariance could be negative. Variance can't be, but covariance can be. And all that's going to do is tell you the slope. If it's going up, it's going to be a positive number. If it's going down, it's going to be a negative number. Okay. We want to measure of association. Right? So we have to standardize covariance so scales don't matter. You can see that the scale's going to matter. Centimeters versus inches and stuff like that, right? It's the mean, for example. We want that to be ignored. Covariance, of course, depends on x sub x and s sub y. The variance, sorry, the standard deviation of x, standard deviation of y. Centimeters are smaller than units. But if I was to make a correlation between height and weight, it really shouldn't matter if I'm measuring your, your weight in, in ounces or in kilos or in stones or in whatever. Unless you just happen to be a stone. I almost weigh five stone. Wait, what? It's so foreign. I mean, it's surprisingly foreign. I've only been to England, but I mean, those would be in Poland. Yeah, you look around and go, yeah, it's kind of familiar. It's kind of spelled like us. That's good. What the hell is a stone? Dude. 
supplied by the Bambi agents, which gives you the final source of power, which is correlation. You take the covariance of x and y, divide by the product of the standard deviation of x and y. There's a reading, read, a reading, a read, there's a reading that has this name of the Pearson product correlation coefficient on the side. If the absolute value, which is ignoring uh, sign, remember that from again early on, um, of covariance x and y equals standard deviation x and y, then r equals one, and you have perfect relationship. It's the big infinity. Doesn't have to be still a couple of A's. Only is like six K's in a row and nine. It suddenly doesn't matter if it's stone or soy ounces. I'm sorry? Oh, absolute value. So just ignoring the sign. Right? It just takes off negatives, basically. The sign of R only shows the direction. That's the covariance is positive or negative. So all it's going to do is says if it's going up, there, uh, the R is the uh, either positive R. If it's going down, it's negative. But it doesn't say anything about the size of the relationship. This was always one of the hardest things to get across to people when I taught 2126 was, you know, Point, negative point 0.7 is in bigger correlation than positive point 0.4. Because the, the sign only talks, talks about direction. Positive means going uphill, negative means going downhill on a graph. Okay? R then can only go between negative 1 and positive 1. There's no way this can be bigger than this. Sorry, this can be bigger than this. The covariance can't be bigger than the covariance of multiplied by negative 1. goes between negative 1 and positive 1. This cannot be greater than 1 or less than negative 1. It is, it is mathematically impossible. That means you made a mistake in your calculations. That's what that means. Okay? Now remember, it's only straight lines, right? Um, this only works with straight lines. This works with linear relationships. Only with so if you had a, uh, here this time, so if you guys over there imagine what I'm doing, like you guys got two options here, you can go there. If you have a relationship that looks like this, so I've got an x-axis and a y-axis, like we do over here, um, and I have a relationship that looks like this. But, What we have here is a parabola, like with like dots. It's like a U. Non-mathematical people just think it's giving an upside down U. That's a nice relationship. I'd love to collect data like that. You know the correlation is there? Zero. Okay, it calculated this way. It calculated that way. It calculated using covariance x, y divided by standard you know what? If you had this, what about this? If you had a relationship that would go in the middle of the room, and it actually was a big circle, 
The lines, the dots follow perfectly on that pretend metaperfect circle. I can now predict perfectly x for y. That's what x squared plus y squared is. That's the same thing you realize when you have any interaction. When you get all this interaction into an extra add each, you have an extra action on the side. So this is correlation here is zero. And if you had one now, just help you guys out and make it all equal, because I'm, I'm not going to try to uh, egalitarian. If it turned out that you had uh, a straight line like that, going across like that, your correlate would still be zero. It's, it's just a straight line, but it's Okay, so it's got to be straight lines. Now, are there ways to deal with the parabola and the circle? Yeah, sure. Straight line actually isn't that interesting. But you might find logarithmic, you know, or, or, or exponential functions rather, or logarithmic functions. This can't deal with those. There are ways to do it that are, that are completely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, that are conceptually exactly the same, that the calculations aren't done the same way. So that's what the correlation coefficient is. So remember you were taught this great big long thing in 2126 if you were. Uh, likely Dwayne said don't worry too much about the, the formula. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to correct you on the formula itself. But it's a big unwieldy formula. It actually just is covariance xy divided by standard deviation x times standard deviation y. And it actually technically is called the Pearson product moment correlation coefficient. But everyone just calls it a Pearson r and I'm fine with that. You know what would be great? Besides like, I don't know, peace in the Middle East end the world hunger, and maybe people stop making those freaking pictures on Facebook that they call memes. And I put those three on the same level, by the way. If we could somehow, if I was questioning the candidates in the upcoming U.S. election debate, I would say, what is your can what are you going to do, President Obama, to stop these stupid pictures? If they could just do something about that. You know? It's a meme. No, it's not. A meme is a culturally transmitted idea that affects fitness. Anyway, sorry. I, anyway, it just my timeline is cluttered with crap. Um, we should be able to predict y from x. That'd be nice. Hey, you ever go to the doctor? You ever go to the doctor? And they say, especially when you're little, and they, they say, or you got a kid, and they say, you know, in a certain percentile, whatever, for so they say, uh, and, uh, our son's always been in about the 95th percentile for, for, um, for the big boy. For predicting his weight from his height. Because he's just huge. He's a behemoth. He's a, he's a behemoth. His middle name is Behemoth. No, it's not. It's David Darwin. Um, but they predict Y from X. That's what they do. It'd be nice if we could do that, and then it wouldn't just be damn MDs and their secret knowledge. So we could just draw a line through a scatter plot. That's in essence what we're going to try to do here. Because if we can draw a line, we can make a prediction. But the thing is, you can draw all, all kinds of lines. Like, I got to go over here because there's more space again. But if we had a, here's a relationship here. So I'm just draw some. Pretty tight correlation. That, by the way, is a correlation of about that's about 0.95. Like that's a really 
that is what's called a least squares regression line. Okay? It's the most common approach. Here's the idea. Well, first we've got line here. So here we have some dots. It's not lined up properly. I think it doesn't set to the screen size or some crap. But anyway, here are the dots. Here's your points. Okay? I just got four points. <coughs> and then we've got this line here. What I've done, that's, that's what these are supposed to be, these uh, lines here, right, the, the horizontal, sorry, vertical lines, they are distances from the actual data to my prediction. That's what those are. Okay? The whole, the line and the, the, the set, whole set of lines have to move over, or the dots have to move over one direction to fix that. I think Keynote assumes you are. 16 by 9 projection, not a 4 by 3 line going over. Doesn't matter. You see my point though? I want to make these lines, these, these, are, these are errors by the way. Because these are real data. These are real data. Those are the actual values. These are the 6. I want to minimize those errors. That's what I want to do. So those are the y's. And this line is called y hat. For prediction, a little hat on it. And it really is called that. I didn't make that up. I've always wondered, and I got a, I got a couple colleagues that teach that are that are that are French speakers and, and teach statistics in French, and I've always a, I wanted to ask them: Do they call it Y circumflex or do they call it Y chapeau? Uh, I don't know. Uh, they should call it chapeau. They probably make fun of that. They probably say les Anglais ils disent Y chapeau là. <laughs> Let's do the rest of the class in sort of a Quebecois accent. Let's know. Let's, we don't know what's going on. I applied for a job at Laval years ago, and I said, um, okay, you might wonder why I have the accent. I'll make you a deal. I only teach statistics for like the first three years. I figured that'd be easy. Other stuff would come along. Terminology is pretty similar. So what we're going to try to do is minimize those predictioners. Well, you minimize the total prediction error. And that prediction error is y minus y hat. And you know what? Um, the positives and negatives, everything all sum to zero, the world's going to fall apart like it always does. Why don't instead we use least squares? Because it's so cool looking at some of the squares. Ha! Ha! Minimize the effect. Oh, 
Typically, y is the sum of y minus y bar, uh, y hat, sorry, squared. Fancy math. Am I gonna, for y hat? What am I getting that line? What do you have? So, it would be, let's assume the point's actually here, okay? It would be from there, there's your y, to the y hat for that same line. That's really easy. It's, it's the same. The line isn't going to be quiet. It's only for this determinant for the So maybe it's just this determinant is only going to be that deep line. You want to make that sum for some, for some reason. Make that sum squared for the smallest possible. Those of you who know a little bit of math know, know that getting a minimum or a maximum is actually pretty easy. I'm not going to go into it, but it's something we remember doing in about grade 9 or 10. Right? You got a function of some sort or a system of equations and you said you want the minimum and the maximum. It's something you learned how to do. It's not that hard. So this isn't any kind of mathematical magic here. It's actually pretty easy. I'm not going to really go through how to do it because it's because why? You know, it's in the book. Read it. It's fine. There's a chapter on how to do this. But no one does this by it's not worth the effort. So what you end up with is a prediction equation. You get y hat equals a plus bx. y hat is equal to y minus c. Okay, that's the first thing. And then for x, a is the intercept. A is the intercept. B is the slope. A is not the slope. B is not the text. I looked over this this morning and I thought, I have this vague memory that there's something wrong with this one, but I couldn't find it. Idiot. Note to self. Give her a note. A is intercept. B is slope. Where's voice memo? A is intercept, B is slope, not text. One day it'll show up by the time I teach this begin next year. And I'll, and like when I'm doing shuffle on my iPod, on my phone, and then I'll, oh, I gotta change that slide. A is intercept, B is slope. And yes, I know, when you were in elementary school, you were taught it was Y equals MX plus B. And B was neither text nor anything else. B was the intercept, and it's not in this case. Those are just different notations. They're both different. One's wrong, one's right. How do you calculate B? I uh, calculate B by taking the uh, covariance of x and y, and I divide it by the standard. Uh, sorry, the variance of x. That's going to be the slope. And you can see then that because it's covariance. It's going to be positive or negative, and that's going to tell you that the direction of the slope is positive or negative. Um, you get A, which is the intercept, you take the average y value, and you subtract B, calculate it up here, times the average x value. Doing this, 
magically actually minimizes the sum of squares of uh, y minus y hat squares. Okay? So correlation and simple regression are obviously intimately related. So if you get B, you can get A. Let's calculate B, A is trivial. Now you want to interpret this, so there's a couple of things that are important. Um, A is the intercept, that's where x equals zero. That's all that is. Is it always that useful? Arguably never actually. Um, if we were looking at height and weight, you got a weight on the uh, x-axis. Well, what's your height when your weight equals zero? It's not really I not with growth rates. Growth would just do that. Uh, growth over time. Or something like that. But very commonly, it's not useful. You know, you think about if we had that IQ and, and, and income thing. Well, what's your income when your IQ equals zero? Well, people don't have IQs of zero. Even those kids at Fanshawe that were wrecking stuff. They're functional. You can't have an IQ of zero. I guess my, my hat doesn't have an IQ of zero either. Right? So the zero point actually very rarely is meaningful. It's in essence an artifact. It's how you've measured stuff. It can be, but rarely is it. Um, remember again, it's only linear relationships. So there's going to be times you have a nice, say, a parabola. <coughs> if those of you guys taking neuropharmacology with me know that often we end up with like those response curves. Inverted parabolas, basically. They're all defined. And if you would actually calculate that using regression, you'd get a zero, even though it's a beautiful relationship. Um, logarithmic relationships. Um, exponential relationships. No. You, you can transform them. You can certainly transform them. And there are ways to deal with, like I said, like a, a parabola or something like that or a polynomial. There are ways to deal with those things, and they use the same idea of the least squares line, but they're, just, they're not fitting a straight line anymore. They're fitting, let's say, a polynomial. One of the things you have to look at is the errors you're making. So you would normally think, well, how the hell am I going to find out when there's a, when there's a uh, nonlinear relationship around these? I'm looking at a scatter plot. Um, one of the other ways you can do it, and this is actually more here, is you can look at the residuals. They're called E. The residuals are just prediction errors. And a perfect prediction would have a zero residual. One minus y hat, that's what they go. What you want. randomly distributed around zero. It's never that pretty, that perfect, but you want to be close. You can do that. Um, but if you looked at, and again, as I said, with, with, with 
We can do this for scatter plots. But let's say we have five x variants. It starts to get hard to look at all the scatter plots that you look at in the residual. And if you get something, let's say you got you just use this one like that, and you say, oh, that's not linear. Double predicts, double predicts, double predicts. Let's move on to the right. Or you might find something like this. This is this is something you would notice, obviously, in a second. Is that by the way? X. Um, as X gets bigger, the prediction errors themselves get bigger. Something else is going on there. Something else is going on. It's not just a straight linear relationship. So looking at residuals is something that um, is pretty easy to do. Uh, software will just do it. You just choose from, when you do regression, you just say, give me the residuals, and it just prints them out for you. And it gives you, it's partially an exploratory data analysis technique, but it's also a way to, to detect nonlinear relationships. And one of the assumptions, by the way, which I haven't gone into, is that the error is bigger of x. The error can be huge. These errors are going to be huge. Depends where they are. That's one of the assumptions. Really, the covariance of x and e, the residual, should equal zero. They should have no relationship whatsoever. So one thing you can do, though it doesn't tell you a lot, because that would be zero there. And that would be zero there. Um, you also shouldn't go outside the range of your data set when you're interpreting. So if you had. John Candy movie because he was great. And um, Armed and Dangerous, which is, if you can see, it's an 80s buddy comedy, but it's got John Candy in it basically. And he's a security guard. He's the cop. And uh, the, the guy says, you know, you're making $4 an hour. So if you work 10 hours a day, you could make $40 that day. And he said, uh, so let me get this straight. If I worked a million hours next week, I'd make $4 million, right? Of course, he's being sarcastic. But he's going outside the range, right? It's like if I was predicting, I don't know. Oh, I told you my friend predicted, trying to, uh, I told you about this, and I was trying to predict a amount of cigarettes people smoke per day. You ask people, they tend to underestimate what you do. So they go to a doctor, and they do a self-smoking program. They could take a, a sample, but they've got to go through a lot of testing. Why not develop a questionnaire? So he asked people all kinds of things. He eventually came up with actual regression. He told the doctor about the sample later on. He had multiple regression. He was able to predict the number of cigarettes people smoke a day using 
a bunch of behavioral variables that people could very easily answer and were pretty reliable to figure out how to answer them. So one of them was age. That wasn't, that wasn't one of the key variables. But age, the older you are, the more likely, the more, because older people, they're more smokers than young people. Because few people started. You can actually build a, a, a correlation there and build a regression model. But, it, you know, he only had people for 18 and over. So he can't predict how much the average 14-year-old smoker smoked. He couldn't predict how much the average... And you might think, well, not a lot of them around, but there are. You know, we've seen them. We see them. These are the bad seeds walking to school. And you wouldn't even go that far. You know, okay, what about, what about a four-year-old? <laughs> there aren't any four-year-old smokers. I did see a show. You ever see this show on the Food Network used to be on called uh, Honey, We're Killing the Kids? Yeah, a few years ago. What they do is they find people that would really shitty parents and um, talk about how they didn't feed them properly. And then they'd use what they called their uh, aging software, which is I think it's called Photoshop. <laughs> right? And they'd show what the kids would look like if they kept eating like this and all this stuff. And very common was the, the whole family had to change their lifestyle. Right? And often it was things that you got to quit smoking, you got to exercise more, uh, you got to feed your kids properly. It was always great. It was a British show. I don't know how to cook from fresh. Was, you'd always hear that. Last night we had chips and Yorkshire pudding. Yeah, that's a meal. I mean, frankly, that sounds pretty good. But um, <laughs> you don't eat like that every night, is all. They were talking to this woman. She's a single mom, you know, and she's working hard and all this stuff. But she said, uh, the woman said, well, the kid was 10 then. And he was a, he didn't look good. Of course, they age him on Photoshop, and he looks as if he's missing teeth. Looks like he just come back from a soccer riot. But they said, uh, the woman says, well, you're going to have to quit smoking. And the little kid, he goes, do I have to quit smoking too? And it's like, what? You're 10. I've been smoking since I was four. And then they're, they're come on. And then you go into the, um, they kind of do snap inspections. They go into his room. He's got an ashtray. But it's in it. It's classy. Um, so maybe he's the kid. But most people, most people aren't smoking when they're four. So you can't make a prediction. You can predict the number of sex partners people have. Right? Right? You can't do that below about, you know, about 12. It's, you know, that's usually four and a half. But that's about the So you can't go outside the range. Just like you can't say, well, let's see, I can predict. You, you can predict, um, in essence, you can predict uh, the salary of a university professor here if you look at our collective agreement. Because there's a starting salary, and there's, in essence, that's, that's where you get it. Right? There's a scope. It's very tempting to go outside the range because now you have an equation. Okay, y equals this plus this times x. Woohoo! I'm magic. I can predict the future. Um, just be careful because if you go too far, you're going to make predictions that you don't have data about. Okay, 
How do you mean? Uh, it still doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. Uh, so if you're thinking like a random effects model in analysis brains, um, no, it won't matter. It's just something you can't do because you have no evidence. The, the math is restricted because the prediction equation comes from those numbers. 